Hello there. Happy Wednesday, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Female Guides Requested podcast. I'm your host Ting Ting. Today's guest is Jay Luyi. Jay uses they/them pronoun. I knew Jay because they approached me for an affinity SPI assessment. Promoting diversity and inclusion in the guiding community has always been important to me. And even though I had no experience working with queer folks, I decided to give it a try. I was very impressed by Jay's work ethics. They went to every possible exam crack and built anchors for all the possible lines and climbed them. Of course, Jay passed the assessment with flying colors. Jay is a licensed psychotherapist. It has experimented incorporating indoor climbing to promote healing. With the SPI cert, Jay can further take this approach outside in nature. In our conversation, we didn't talk about guiding in the traditional sense, but something broader, something interdisciplinary and creative. I really enjoyed the conversations with Jay because. They opened my eyes to different perspectives and new possibilities. I won't spoil it here, and sincerely invite you to be on the journey with us. Glad that we had this chance before you leave this area to chat in person to do this interview. First of all, congratulations for you to get your SPI certification. I kind of want to use this as opening. Oh, you know what do people take this SPI to? Because not everybody taking the SPI would say eventually become like IFMG mountain guy. And then I found that a lot of SPI they. Combine、uh, what they are doing right now, it's like quite interesting stories there. So, what's your goal on your SPI? So, before we get into the goal, okay, I do want to say that before I applied for the SPI, I had no idea what it was. Then, why did you even apply for it? I saw a scholarship opportunity with Climbing for Change. And whenever I see a scholarship opportunity, I get really curious. I run a nonprofit called Queer Crush, and I'm also a psychotherapist. I specialize in complex trauma, working with the queer, trans, non-binary、uh, POC community. Okay. And so, at that point in time, I had not known that guides existed. Back then, were you a climber already? Yes. Okay. So I was rock climbing. I was mainly doing gym sports climbing. At that point in 2021, I had probably four years, three, 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 four years of gym sport climbing experience. You mean when you saw the scholarship available?、Yes. Okay. And we can get into this later, but I have funded my education, my grad school, and my internship at working at a queer community. Mental health center through scholarships, and a bunch of other life skills that I've earned through scholarships,、uh, which opened me to this door of the guiding world. Okay. Long story short. Yeah. 
<laughs> and my goal is to use the SPI to help me get people outdoors, specifically people who want mind, body, spirit, earth healing to heal with themselves, to heal with others, to heal in community, and to rebuild a sense of trust and safety in themselves and the people in the world around them. So have you already done like using climbing to help your clients inside though? I yes. in the gym climbing setting. Yes. Okay. I have. And then you feel that it will be um one step further to take them outside. Definitely. Um how do you do inside then? Can you describe like what your approach with climbing together with your work? Sure. So I'm still building out the programming and we'll be doing so later this year. And in early 2022, I ran a climbing therapy pilot program and this was all indoors. And so I had folks from my talk psychotherapy private practice come and experiment with me. And so I offered free climbing therapy sessions where they would work on their fears their anxieties, some difficult uh, thought patterns on the wall with me. Okay. And it is really striking how similar when we're in moments of fear or doubt or we encounter problems in our daily lives that we tend to have some similarities dealing with our climbing problems much like how we deal with those daily life problems true yes right okay yeah and so what we would do is you know i see these clients weekly and we would prepare for the climbing therapy session in the gym uh and we would go over our intentions for the specific session okay and they would choose their climbs and a lot of these people have never climbed in their lives This is the first time they put on a harness, the first time they've tied in onto a rope, the first time they've been to a climbing gym, the first time they've put themselves on the wall. And so naturally, this is already a very novel experience, right? And so what happens when we encounter novel experiences that push us out of our comfort zone, right? There's this internal experience of wanting to balance between how safe do I feel right? In myself, how safe do I feel in my environment? How safe do I feel with this person? Right? Um, and how much risk do you want to take? Because what are the rewards at the end of the experience? Right? And so I'm talking very informally about this right now. And I hope it's coming through to you right now. Yeah, I'm trying to understand. Awesome. And if I have questions, I definitely ask. Um, so I've never practiced talking about this like this before. So this is also my first time trying to synergize it. Okay, or synthesize it. And it It came so naturally because in therapy, there's this element of listening. There's an element of uh, inquiring more, inquiring deeper into the person's experience, right? Mm -hmm. Asking them, hey, like, how do you feel in your body? How do you feel in your mind? And like, where's your mind going right now? Okay. Right? Where is your body going right now? Where in your body are you feeling tension? Where in your body are you feeling strong? Okay. Right? And so when they're on the wall, I engage with them in their thought process, in their body awareness. Right. And when they come back down from the climb, 
we talk, okay, what, what went through your mind back there, right? And so I would have clients kind of tell me what was going on in their mind, what was going on in their body, and they would confront some pretty interesting, pretty serious stuff. Okay. Such as, I don't know whether you are free to talk about that. This is the hard thing about therapy, right? Is because everything is really confidential, Mm -hmm. but maybe I can use one person's experience and be very big picture about it. Okay. I was working with somebody who is queer and um, was... I have to like really juggle the confidentiality piece, but let's just say um, was because of religion and spiritual and uh, family, they uh, were kicked out for being queer of their entire family. Okay. So they have no family. They were also raising a child. Okay. Right. And so um, they were trying to make it work as a single parent um without help wow yeah and there's also this you know they're also an immigrant <laughs> so that, wow that's a lot of <laughs> obstacles yeah. there yeah right and there are, so there's a lot of obstacles there and so i was pretty much one of their first therapists and um they came to me and I wanted to do a little bit more for them, more than just talk therapy. And when they were climbing, um, I was so astonished by their ability. Okay. And it's not always about ability, but I just want to like the climbing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So they have really long nails (laughs) and they jumped on a 10 Mm -hmm. and they just did it. Wow. That's pretty good for a first time climber. Yeah. And I show them how to tie a figure eight and they've never tied a figure eight before. They were able to replicate the figure eight on the second try. Awesome. Wow. And I'm like, why did this happen? Right. Um, and the story that they told themselves is like, like never give up. And they were freaking on the wall many times, shaking, and they were just kind of telling themselves, I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up. And this kind of juxtaposed with their their life, um, where there was many, many crises with their family of origin, um, with being, uh, like, experienced with domestic violence and being... Uh, <sighs> um, this is where I'm like, hmm, confidentiality wise, like, you know, like new DV, domestic violence. And they were really, really just alone. And um, their community was their newfound queer community that they found outside of their home and outside of their circles. And I think this experience of them really showed how much imposter syndrome, misogyny um, that they had to fight. We talked a little bit about minority stress in our conversations right. earlier. Yes. Right. And how just their experience of seeing themselves on the wall doing this was so fortifying towards demonstrating how much inner strength they had and also like demonstrable outer strength. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I certainly climbing had 
I won't say change my life, yeah. but certainly I got a lot out of climbing. Yeah. Right? But I, I guess I never imagined in this aspect. I'm curious, like, so, you know, when people just start climbing, yeah. right? So we typically, uh, I would think of fear of height, fear of new challenge, or fear of a new person that yeah. they have to trust. So it's all about fear, right? Um, at the very first level, because they just experience a lot of things new. But how long of the session you do with them, how many sessions, they probably will get a little bit inner, uh, like more intimate experience with climbing that's outside of fear, right? And more intimate experience. Means like enjoyment from the movement. Yes, or definitely. enjoyment of like problem solving. Yes. Um, once they, they they gain the trust and then they know that they don't, they trust the system, then there got to be something else that probably also integrate uh, with their experience, I, I would say. What yeah. did you observe? Well, I think that climbing allows people an invitation. It gives you an invitation to move in ways that your body has never moved before, right? Mostly we walk on flat land with two feet. We do things with our hands. Uh, we do things with our feet, but we don't really do things that integrate all four, like feet and hands all together, right? Yeah, I would say the climbing is a whole body workout. Right? Yes. Um, and I think that there's a lot of experiences with the sensory part of climbing, right? That we kind of have lost. Like when we touch the textures on the wall, the curiosity involved, the problem solving, it is a full body experience, but it's also a very intricate one. Okay. Are there big movements? There are small, delicate movements. Definitely. Like we're like swimming, yes. right? They're mm-hmm. like, I don't know if this is scientific, but when I imagine <laughs> swimming, you do repetitive motions that are very like bigger, bigger limb movements. And with climbing, there's like these like little tiny things where like a little millimeter of your fingertip can make a difference. True. Right? Yes. Yeah. The way that like how much hip you turn is yeah. like gonna make a huge difference. The micro yes. movements that you can mm-hmm. never even see on the outside, but are happening on the inside true right and so i relate this to the idea of embodiment which is how connected you feel inside your body and the relationship that you have with your body okay and i found that like climbing helps ground people it helps them feel inside their body or they belong inside their body and i think this theme is especially relevant for trans people and people who deal with body and gender dysphoria. Okay. Well, I won't claim... Well, I should not even say that. I don't understand any yeah. inner states of, say, trans or queer yeah. folks. So, do you, were you trying to say that for them to understand themselves and love themselves is a very important part in this whole journey of therapy or yeah okay definitely and then so with climbing right because i at least i know climbing i know that i need to understand my body yeah and then a lot of my mind yeah to in order to move well say on the wall so you feel that these are like a perfect yeah uh parallels with their real life situation and the climbing as a metaphor yeah um I would say like when we experience trauma or when we experience stress, we get dissociated from our bodies, right? I, I think maybe you can relate to that. Uh, because what? what? <laughs> um, how about if you're 
Hmm. Well, even in the small fears, right, or small difficult situations, right, you hear bad news, right? Okay. There's a feeling of shock. Okay. Right? Yes. Um, and you might feel like, oh, is this a movie or is this a oh, watching okay. a movie? You say, I am don't I want to really believe hear... it. The first reaction yes. you say, okay. Or am I? Am I here? You know, your brain might go in the past, or might go in the future, or might just kind of separate yourself from reality as you know it right now. Does this make sense at all? Yes. Right. Okay. Um, and so there's this experience of dissociation of not feeling inside your body, which I work with a lot in trauma mm. and in therapy. It sounds like you don't really do much, but no, yeah, because oh, it's not my specialty. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I think what I've done, I've, I think what you know, being a therapist is like I've taken for granted, like talk about really difficult things a lot and we encounter a lot of like people with dissociation right and numbness and like memory like um when bad things happen people tend to compartmentalize and they try to push the memory far away right okay. or make it disappear but what happens is that it can't it keeps on coming back because it's still there yeah it's still yes. there unless you process it right yes and so one way of processing is therapy right Mm-hmm. Another way of involving the body in processing is climbing. Okay. So can I give you one example? Yeah. Um, so when I started climbing, I was doing uh, my internship as a therapist. And on my first week of seeing clients, I had to sit with very difficult stories, right? And experiences. And I felt really numb because what happens is not only like, is a person who's going through the trauma or has gone through the trauma experiencing that numbness and dissociation, but even on the hearing side, like hearing it, I can also empathize and some of that can also pass on to me. It's called like, you know, it's a, a part of empathy. Okay. And so I, as a therapist, I then have to process that. Yeah. Right. And so that's where climbing came in. And the first time I had cried that entire week was when I was doing my first 11A <laughs> in the okay. gym. Yeah. It was like these really hard crimp moves. And I was just like pinching them and crimping them and making some guttural noises. And I finally let out a cry. Oh, yeah. And it's really interesting because the parallel between that experience is that that bodily movement of crimping and pulling myself and really exerting force somehow allowed me to have an outlet Mm. for the emotional experience I had in the therapy room. Does this make sense? Yeah. And was that uh, inspired? So was that that moment that kind of inspired you to bring climbing to your patients or clients? Not yet, because that was still many years. Like that was three, three years before I heard about the scholarship Um, but I immediately noticed the benefits of how I somehow got to release the tension and the like the process, like the, it allowed me to move the tension out of my body, Mm. but it's not just the physical tension of daily stress. It was really complicated, um, very difficult, hard traumatic things that I've heard and was trying to also work through with my clients. I see. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it was therapy for me.、Mm, okay, yeah, I'm I'm glad that you put your like learning into good use. I mean, right? So you, if you deal with all those cases, it's gonna, it's like it's gonna be hard for you. So you will have to heal yourself in、yeah. a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. What made you want to bring it outside? Though, do you think like what's this outside component?、Mm, be What's gonna be more beneficial outside? I guess that's what I'm trying to ask. Well, nature is healing. Okay. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. And I want to. I have a perspective of nature being non-judgmental. Okay. So I work with mainly queer, trans people of color, and. Because of their identities, they experience prejudice, discrimination, and different layers, right, of stress on top of daily stress, right, because of those identities. And I've personally found that when I'm in nature, I feel the absence of the prejudice, the discrimination, the. Baggage that comes with my identities when navigating social spheres in the city or、mm-hmm. daily life, and that is already a. I might feel that the burden, like a, a burden, has been released. I might be carrying a heavy backpack, but the psychic burden of navigating social spaces is removed, and I already feel lighter. And so I can imagine what it could do for my clients as well. Is when they are out in nature, they can feel embraced and loved and cared for by nature, and the different type of sensory input that they have, right—the temperature, like the humidity or the dryness, the wind,、um, the textures on the earth—can be very.、Um, it can stimulate them in, in the right ways, as opposed to some of the overstimulation that we have in cities. Does, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, definitely the bias comes from humans. Yeah.、Um, but certainly, like recently, we have a lot of talks recent years that, well, nature doesn't discriminate,、uh, climbing doesn't discriminate. Yeah. But getting to climbing, yeah,、um, can have this layer of, say, for example, when I just start climbing sixteen years ago, being. An Asian woman、yeah. being outside that I don't see many like me. Yeah, and the、uh, I can say the climbing doesn't discriminate. I can focus on climbing, but sometimes it's a community sport, right?、Yes. So then you you will start to think that your own identity, whether you fit in this identity. So what do you think about this barrier? I wouldn't have climbed as much as I did, or I wouldn't have easily accessed climbing. If it wasn't for the queer community, and when I recall those who took me outdoors for the first time, and even indoors for the first time, they were all queer people. Oh, okay. I was invited、yeah. by queer people to climb, and I received my first gear as second hand. So my rope was a gift, my bag, my chalk bag. They were gifts or secondhand, and that allowed me to feel like 
I'm supported and I'm invited. And without those invitations and support, I don't think I would have stayed in the climbing. Um, because I moved to the Bay Area eight years ago for grad school. And I was previously living in Hong Kong. So were you born and raised in Hong Kong? or I was born in Hawaii when my mother was having a vacation, in quotation marks. And I lived in Hong Kong, Vancouver, New York City, and Mexico on and off. So I've okay. been traveling a lot between places, and I have Canadian American and Hong Kong citizenship. Okay. Yeah. But I've never lived in the Bay Area until I was in grad school, and so I didn't know anyone. And I was couch surfing at the time, which means I was like sleeping on people's couches because I didn't know anyone. I couldn't afford anything. And I tried to get myself in different communities. So I tried like dance communities, art communities. I tried burning man communities. I've tried really different communities and nothing really stuck until I met the climbing community. And until I met Queer Crush, which is an affinity group uh, for queer folks across California and beyond. And that was the first time me as a female assigned at birth. So I'm trans non-binary, but, you know, born assigned female at birth. This is the first time my body was respected and not fetishized as some sort of sexual object in a community space. And that allowed me to thrive in a sport. And I could have thrived in any other thing, but the barrier that we're speaking about, that was my main barrier, is constantly being objectified, constantly being hit on, and having my boundaries violated, basically. Mm. So I would say the affinity space was so important for me being in this sport and the community and that's why I want to grow it because I want this opportunity to be available for other people as well now I understand a little bit more because uh, I know you because you approached me asking me whether I'm providing this assessment for, yeah yeah um, and I I did uh, work with AMGA for the women's affinity programs and got approached to offer a BIPOC assessment but I wasn't really thinking because I never had any experience for me my only affinity experience is I went to an all-girl high school yep and other than that um, uh, I went to engineering school and I got into climbing and guiding it's all very male-dominated space so um, and I didn't have the experience to go to all women or whatever so I was always wondering how important that is to people like affinity space. I didn't even know it was important until it became important. So when I first heard about Queer Crush or other affinity spaces, I know I'm queer. I don't really have to climb with queer people. And I thought it might be a little clicky, you know? Okay. And when I joined, I did not have the experience of it being clicky. I had the experience of everyone being around a table, talking, sharing, not competitive, very supportive, and very down-to-earth. And the reason why I realized it was not only um, 
important but necessary is the local uh, person, Mimi. Uh, she was hosting the Queer Crush group in Berkeley Ironworks, and she wanted to start a family, and she knew that she couldn't continue the volunteer for this, and so she was looking for someone else to take over the group. And I had named someone else, <laughs> and then that person was like, no, I'm busy. Jay, you should do it. And I was like, well, first of all, I don't want to because I don't, I get nervous in big groups. And second of all, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I'm new to climbing relatively and I don't know what is needed, right? And so, but I, when, when the thought of not having this space was so worried me. <laughs> Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I was like, no, I'm going to do something about this. And so I will try it out and see if I can do it. And here I am years later, and uh, we've collectively grown it so much bigger. So the affinity space is so important, and I had to learn why it was important over time. Yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted to learn. What you just said, it was you said that you didn't know what's needed. Yeah. And the funny thing about... Me as I got approached just because you know look at me I'm like Asian. Yes, you're very Asian looking. <laughs> and so, Confirmed. so in this guiding community is not that many people like me. Yeah. So I've been approached numerous times to offer this, but I have no experience. Yeah. In that community, I don't know what's needed. Yeah. Especially I yeah I identify as an Asian I identify as a woman, but. Even like say you, you approach me. I just like, I don't know what you need. Yeah, it, does it make sense that yeah, a, a transgender or a queer person? What do they need? I don't know. So, and I somehow I feel like more and more I probably will have more encounter yeah. with this community. And just from your personal experience, can you tell me what they need or what you need? So then it can help me a little bit in the future. Well, we talked about this because I do do presentations on this, but I want to speak from a more personal level. And like everything, we need safety, right? Mm -hmm. Trust. And developmentally, we start off being connected, right? In the womb, right? And then we become individuals by gradually separating from the womb as we grow into older humans and it's much like climbing and I imagine needing the safety and trust right and that's essential yes and I know that those are big words and what does safety really mean what does right. trust really mean well safety is oh I, I I trust that this person will prioritize my safety emotionally and physically right and even you being humble and saying, hey, what do you need? And asking that question is a demonstration that, oh, you actually do prioritize my safety because you're asking me about what I need. And you're being curious to what I need and being humble, saying, hey, I don't know. In fact, if you came to me and were like, oh, I know everything and let's just do this. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Like, let's talk about what I might need and what you might need from me, you know? Okay. So even that is a demonstration that you know because it's about the process. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Not yeah. the finished product. Like I'm not coming to you expecting you to know exactly. Right? <laughs> because I don't even think anybody would know everything. No, right? and mm-hmm. no, and so that humility aspect is so important and that curiosity aspect is so important and those are pretty foundational to building safety and trust because I'm not going to trust you just like that. I'm, we're going to build trust together. Right. Anyone who comes to me and be like, trust me, I know I've been a guide for 30 years or whatever. That's actually a very dangerous thing. Yes. 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 Right. Uh So I'm not going to trust that. Right. Right. Yes. That's counterintuitive to, even if I say, Oh yeah, that sounds great. I trust you inside of me in my body there's definitely going to be a barrier Mm. right or distrust because you've told me this thing but what i need to do is have the lived experience of you respecting and trusting and creating safety for me i see is that is that a good answer yeah i mean then it's actually made me more relaxed because um because i don't know so i'm gonna ask questions and i feel that you know it's actually much better to just ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, you make friends with anybody. You're not just going to be like love first sight on the In movie. fact, if you were love at first sight, that would be a warning. Okay. <laughs> like what's going on where you're projecting your idea mm. of somebody. Right. right? So right. they probably have a lot of assumption already yes. going on. So they imagine they first yes. sight in love. Okay. Yeah. So I think what you're pointing to is really spot on about the word assumption, mm. right? So we don't want to assume what people might need or want or because of their identities, what they seek. It's right. We don't always want to make assumptions. True. Yeah. Yeah. The other day I was just talking about this assumption. Yes. Yeah. Other people like, to be honest, I have to make. Maybe I should not say assumption. I need to make hypothesis. Yeah. Like, say I have, say, SPS, yeah. and I have six people. Yeah. So at first I have to remember names, so then uh, I have to make some connections for me yeah. to remember names. Yes. Yeah. Then I need to remind myself, okay, don't make assumptions, but I still make some assumptions. Does yeah. that make sense to yes. you? Yes. Yeah. So... Anyway, I get, I get what you mean. Mm-hmm. You have to make some assumptions to start the work, but yes. not make them permanent. Exactly. Make them yes. malleable or adaptable. So I'm like very ready to modify them yeah. as on the way of I collect more data. I yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess just like you say, it's a process, not like just like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say what I really admire about queer crush or the queer community is they ask for gender if they want to pronouns they ask for pronouns right Mm -hmm. and that's just one way of saying hey i don't want to make an assumption about your gender because your gender presentation or identity is something that you the other person knows better than what you're assuming right from the Mm -hmm. outside yes and so i think that's always a good start yeah and talking about the pronouns i hope there's a movement that we just create some gender neutral pronoun because right now with uh, they i think it's overloaded world that make it really difficult (laughs) 
for me to think about. Okay, is it a plural or singular? Because I'm thinking about, like, for example, you use they, yeah, they, them as pronoun, but I look at you as a singular, yeah, person. So then I want to use, you know, they place instead of they play or they climbs instead of they climb. But then with my pearl override, I see. And, yeah, so it's just anyways. It's my little uh, rent. There are yeah. a lot of different pronouns that are being used right now. I've heard. We don't have to get into the details, okay. but definitely people using it. It. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Then I <laughs> think about my cats. It. Okay. I mean, there's other neo pronouns too, but we don't have to get into right. that right now. But I. I think, you know, I, I the, the beautiful thing that I've heard before is that language is alive. It is. And it's evolving. It, it evolves and is evolving. And so I prefer that. And how culturally, if you, even if you go into a different geographic location, there's so many different shifts, right? And so uh, I, I like, I love languages. Um, and I understand the idea of, like you know when you learned English when you were 10 yeah <laughs> and now you're, you're having to update that right yeah I I mean it's, it's not really a too big of a deal but then I'll just say when I learned English it was very hard language for me mm-hmm. uh, because it's very different from my native language mm-hmm. so then I just like, oh my god what if I I really worry about when I just came to the stage I worry about making a lot of mistakes yeah. now I'm like worried more yeah I, I think it's I mean, I I think it's fine. I I don't know if I how I can console you about that. Like, <laughs> um, I really like people keeping their accents when they're speaking English because I when I was um, I learned English when I was four okay. or five years old, and at that point, our family immigrated from Hong Kong to Vancouver, right, and so. I learned how to read and write quicker than the local kids who were born in Canada and raised in English-speaking families because the pressure to assimilate was so great. Oh, okay. Um, And I really appreciate it when we can keep some of our accents or our the intricacies of how we pronounce words or pronounce words. I really don't mind that personally okay um and yeah i i don't really have any feedback or advice but i i know that the pronouncing is just gonna keep evolving i i will hope so yeah Yeah. right now uh i think it's going to the right direction for sure to um ask people about their pronouns because you just can't assume uh but hopefully we have better solutions. Yeah, soon. Sorry, I, I distract from the origin thought about the SPI, I guess. So um, so you said that you saw the scholarship opportunity. Yes. And then then you decided to, to try it? Yes. <laughs> so at the time, I... So the pandemic happened okay. right? in so 2020. You, so when you saw that it was 2020... It was 2021. Okay. A year later. And I had just built experience going outdoors because the gyms were closed. And it was hilarious because I 
followed two trad climbs and then I started leading trad with someone who does not lead at all my partner okay because the pandemic happened right and so people stopped hanging out together and I didn't really have any climbing partners outdoors at the time or enough people I knew who climbed outdoors so in order to get outside I got my partner to belay me on a trad climb that was a 5-4 okay you know I know I know I can climb a (laughs) 5-4 and yeah but everything was new I learned how to place a gear how to make the anchor I was shown once how to make the anchors before but then after then I looked at the VDIF yeah, I know that website. Yes. Yeah, it's five dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, I donated five dollars okay. for their PDF, yeah. and I just read it religiously and started to climb outdoors. And then, and then I eventually took people outdoors, even like my friends who didn't know how to lead climb or have much experience outside of top roping. And so when I applied, by the time I applied, I had climbed outdoors maybe a few months, um, and but I was already taking people out, so. <laughs> I was thinking how suitable for me this would be because this would give me the tools, the practices, and the experience I needed to take more people outdoors. And we had such a great time outdoors. Um, Before this, I didn't really have access to outdoors. um, And it was really special and spiritual experience for me that I wanted to give it to other people. So I applied and got it. And here I am. (laughs) two years later with a little more experience than I did back then climbing that 5-4 yeah I mean you gotta start somewhere (laughs) yeah yes I had my fair share of 5-4s yeah I mean I was I'm just laughing because Mm -hmm. it was a little sketch okay yeah and I've had my fair fair share of sketch experiences yeah I mean definitely I, I would say that all the climbers have some things that's just like, oh, I probably should have not done that, right? Yeah, I probably should not have climbed and like I think it's hilarious now, but I one of my first sport climbs I tried to climb a sport climb with eight bolts with five draws, teaching my partner how to lead belay me like on the spot and and then I down climbed to clean it much like the 5-4 trad, um, he wasn't prepared to follow. And so, like, I just down-climbed it, too. And, I mean, I really started just down-climbing a lot of the things in the beginning, which now I know is sketch. Okay. And so I, I think what I'm trying to say is that the SPI definitely, and just even being in the community, right, it gives me access to so many more qualified people that can bring that knowledge to my community and so that's another reason why I'm invested in it is because once you're a guide you get to access all the other people who are guides and I want to start mobilizing and leveraging those relationships to bring them uh, for my communities okay so yeah so so what are your next steps (laughs) you already have this roadmap of like what you're gonna do well yeah, I do, because one of the things I'm really uh, interested in is I'm, I'm kind of good at writing grants, and so I've been oh. helping people, friends or people in the community that I don't know, but I can see that they have a lot of like potential and they're really generous people. I want them to get scholarships so that they can 
do the things that they need to do to be certified and then support the community in a more uh, resourced way, resource sustainable way with more professionalism, right? Mm-hmm. And access to resources for themselves. And then um, I am organizing, well, we just, we just, with Queer Crush, we just got a grant from Patagonia. Mm-hmm. And so I want to use some of that money to develop more outdoor programs for our community using some of the new or older graduates of the SPI programs that are queer POC. Okay. Yeah. So I already got ideas for that. Nice. I I guess if you are very good at grant writing, you need to think about ideas. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And and do them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So, so let me backtrack a little bit. So it seems like the queer crush, you are more of a volunteer. Is that, Right or you are you are doing a pay position or so Queer Crush is a nonprofit. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders, and we are all volunteers. Okay. Um, and then your job that which you make a living is therapy. It's therapy. Yes. But you do therapy combined with a Queer Crush or not? No. Oh, these okay. two are separate. I see. But my therapy is ninety percent queer. Okay. It just happens. I don't actually look for queer clients they just got the family yeah yes and my they them pronouns somehow is a magnet for queers okay and it just happens to be that way so say your anchor job is therapist mm-hmm. but then you also use climbing in your therapy yes right but so- that was only that was a specific program and that was i gave it to for free uh, because I didn't okay. feel like I felt like I needed some more certifications in order to actually offer it for, for money. See. Yeah. So those were already your existing yes uh, clients, yes. and then you just like, hey, I have this program. Do you want to join? Yes. But for free. Yes. I see. Um. Yeah. Because my therapy work is actually sliding scale. So I have people on scholarships, and I have people who pay according to their income level. Okay. Yeah. And then on the side of your anchor job, you also volunteer and do a lot of things with Queer Crush. Correct. All right. And then I know that you also, uh, we just talked about you going to Yosemite for, I forgot the event, the name. United in Yosemite. Right. And then you are doing a presentation. Correct. Right. So, since... She's like, you're very good at the... And then you are just doing this one month long kind of climbing trip here in Red Ryan, or two months long in Red Ryan Zion. Seems like you are very good at time management for me. Cause I, I am to, good at time management. <laughs> <laughs> I need to figure this out because I was just like, wow, I'm working and I'm like exhausted when I get home. I just feel like, how am I going to do other things? So how do you find all this energy to kind of juggle all these tasks I thank my ancestors because I feel like that my ancestors has gone through a lot Um, my parents met in Hong Kong and my dad had was a child when there was a cultural revolution in China Mm. and my grandparents went through that and went through a lot 
you know, they've experienced war. My grandmother was orphaned by the war. And so I have always been really like grateful for their contributions and how that I have the luxury to suffer fest if I want on a long climb, right? Okay. Carrying a backpack with limited water and food and try hard on a rope. Like sure. that is a luxury to me to be able to rock climb. And I am going to connect this with your question, but I think like they had gone through so much. And I think there's something with that where like every time I have, like every moment I have, I just want to make what I, what, what I determined to be use of it. Right. Um, and I've developed like, a really strong discipline for managing my time and I color code it. Um, yeah. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I, color code I, mean, you, I mean, you definitely have a, a system because when uh, we were doing the debrief on the SPS system and you're like, okay, you know, I went to this club you talk about and then build every anchor, kind of every single line that, so you certainly have this discipline. Uh, I'm gonna like show you this thing on my uh, calendar okay. if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, so I've never thought that I was an organized person until the pandemic happened, and I worked eighty to hundred hours a week. I worked eight to nine jobs during the pandemic. Jeez, that's yeah. a lot. I was eighty to ninety hours. I mean, didn't didn't you experience burnout though? Um, I had some difficult moments. Okay. <laughs> and I don't work that many hours now, but I realized that I'm going to show you this thing. I don't know if I can find it on my phone, but I had like lunch breaks and then I would drive to Calico Basin. Oh, 4 a.m. at 4 a.m. I'm, I'm building anchors at 4 a.m. <laughs> And then at 8 p.m., I have a phone call, and then I climb with someone for two hours, and then I have my therapy sessions and a member meeting, and that's my day. So so you do that, like, the day before, or you just plan it way ahead of time? Way ahead of time. Um, so before the SPI exam, I went out six days in a row. But even before that, I had, I think, another, like seven days of just going to all <laughs> crags, climbing all around, setting up all the anchors. I know it was a little overkill, but I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's great. I mean, I would not say that I personally would do the same, uh, but I certainly admire the, the way that you approach this. I mean, you've climbed for a lot longer. Okay. Right. Yes. <laughs> you have moments of living in a van and having access to climbing for a long period of time. I live in the Bay Area, and I mean, if I want to relay, I certainly the very first guidebook yeah. that I had, I have a lot of notes on yes. that guidebook. And then, for whatever reason, once I pass your threshold, I decide not to take the detail. No. Yeah. You mean a guidebook to teach you how to be a good guide? No, or? no, no, a guidebook just for my own personal climbing. Oh, yeah. You and wrote your own guidebook? No, 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 no. I I bought a guidebook and then mm-hmm. I just like, oh, I'm gonna take these climbs and then I jot down every single moment on that single pitch 
that during the whatever APH climb, like wow. every like how I felt and then what I place and everything. And then I did I don't even remember that until I give that guidebook to a newer climber that they need that and then they flip it through. I just like whoa! It's like a diary. Yes, of every moment. It, yes, and I was just like. I don't even remember I have those moments, but I did. So I, th- that's the only experience I can pull out to relate to. I mean, I thought it was funny to share that. It's definitely not something that I'm completely like proud of. But I mean, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I I just know that I'm I'm good at the mind exams. But I'm not really good at the physical exams because I, when I'm afraid or when I have fears about failure, my body sometimes freezes, which is the opposite of what you want to do. Because even if your body freezes when you do a written exam, your your brain's still doing the thing. It's still the, the cogs are working, and because the SPI or climbing is so physical, if I freeze, I know that I'm gonna. I'm I'm gonna have a hard time getting out of the freeze mode, so mm-hmm. that was why I wanted my body to learn and feel comfortable in each area, so that if I froze, I would still have the benefit of not being in a novel environment. Yes. So that was what I wanted for myself, and I also got some feedback that I think that I think that some people who were teaching me how to do the things were doubt, doubted me. Okay. And I got really pissed. <laughs> okay. I was really pissed. And I was like, I'm not failing this. Hooray. So that was also a motivation for why I felt so committed to make sure that I lined myself a good buffer. Yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, as a guy, I always tell people that as a guy, you gotta give yourself enough buffer so you can problem solve. Right? Yeah. It's a good attitude. Yeah. And I would say that once you get more experience, you probably will be a bit more relaxed, right? So just like everybody else. Yeah, I was remembering when we had the exam day one, you were like, oh yeah, Jay, you're... I didn't get to know you very well on the first day. And I was like, yeah, Tang Tang, you don't even know what was going on in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Just like trying to meditate. I was just... I have no capacity for small talk. It's 95 degrees out here. That was extremely yeah. hot that day. Yes. I was just like, nope, I'm not expending any energy I need other than doing the activities you're asking us to do, and then we can socialize the next day. So that was Great. my plan. Yeah, you got to take care of yourself first. <laughs> yeah, and tell me a little bit more about uh, this queer crush. Was it completely a, a climbing group? or oh, okay? It is a climbing group, and... It's really interesting because the name was was created by someone who was in SoCal. So the group already existed when I joined, but it wasn't a nonprofit and it wasn't the size of what it is now because... So you was just a a small uh, kind of meetup group, that type of thing? Yeah. So there were a few, but now there's over 200 a, a year in uh, maybe 20, almost 30 locations now. Wow. Yeah, a month. Mm. And so... And still mostly in California, is that? Yes. Okay. So we just expanded to Washington. Okay, Washington State. 
Yeah, and I ran one in Hong Kong when I was visiting, and now. Uh, how about how? Why why did you skip Oregon? I don't know. Okay. I don't want to skip Oregon. <laughs> I'm just curious because I was just like, wait, California, Washington, isn't there a state between? There is a state in between. It just depends on who reaches out and the connections we have naturally. Um, not intentional Oregon. Um, but I, I think yeah, queer crush. Like there's you know you know crusher or climbing. Yes, of course. Yeah. And then queer crush. You know, crushing on people, you know, having crushes on people. Oh, okay. Yes. So I, I, when we registered the name, I wanted it to be called Queer Crush Climbing because I thought it would sound a little weird just Queer oh, Crush just... without some sort of I didn't even think gesture about that. to climbing. Yeah. I, yeah. It wouldn't be amazing if there was Queer Crush surfing and Queer Crush skiing, whatever. But I felt like climbing was so integral to what we do that. I registered the name as like Percrush Climbing, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. The the nonprofit name yep. you mean. Mm-hmm. So right now you have Washington location. Yeah. And then the California obviously. Uh, yeah. and then you're thinking about maybe like more locations, hopefully maybe. I wanna do a trial meetup next week actually. So one of the in clients Nevada? Yeah, one of the clients that was in the SPI exam. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh the volunteer. Yeah, mean. the volunteer. Uh, we're climbing together next week. Nice. And I'm taking one of her friends out to climb. And so I'm hoping to see if I want to publicize this and have a few queer slash BIPOC folks come in for a climb for the first time. I'm not sure if I want to do this. I'm thinking about the pros and cons. But yeah, I mean, your crush is a... Mm. So you think about pros and cons of publicize this event yeah okay you're confused um yes i just and doing this one is volunteering right yeah yes so it's like you don't have to deal with permit insurance and stuff so why are you concerned safety okay i mean i don't know the air i mean i i i know the area of california well much better right in nevada i have a few folks here who identify as queer and who might want to come, but I'm also sketched out about potentially advertising this on the internet and then having some randos come. Okay. Well, but if you already have a small group, you can just do it as a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes people, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's not, it's just some some circumstances, very minor, rare circumstances that problematic people show up who are not necessarily queer, oh. you know. And so I just don't want to deal with that right so now. So you will have that type of people. Very uncommon, but happens sometimes. Okay. And so I just feel like every time I publicize on the internet, I just have to be very careful. And so one way I mitigated that is usually not publicizing the location, but I ask them, hey, like, message me if you want to join. And then that way I can vet who it is and right. get a little more information. Yes. Yeah. True. Oh. I so guess. this is something you never thought about that you're like... I mean, I do think about because when I ask for volunteers for the SPI assessment, right, mm-hmm. so I... I didn't, like, screen that hard, but I certainly go to the group, like, the, you know, I ask people to post it in 
specific group, not just、yeah. the Vegas climate Facebook group. So then,、uh, I can get the people that's more fit in this assessment. Yeah. yeah, but I still worry that maybe there will be some people that just come and are not the nice <laughs> inquiry、uh, people. Yeah, yeah, but I I haven't have bad experience, but that could just mean that I haven't done as that many, so then I haven't encountered some. I think also the fact that you are a guide. Yeah. Right, and you're the boss. You're the boss.、Uh, I'm the boss. Yes. Yeah. When you're the boss, there's a different power dynamic than if I were, like you can kick someone out of a group if they're misbehaving. Oh. Right. There's a power dynamic there that's、okay. a little different. Right. Than say a volunteer group run by volunteers, right? In a public、oh. land, it's not an official program. So. Interesting. I I guess I never saw in that. Just I sorry, you're not welcome. You mean that to say? Okay. And then, but it's very hard for you to say no if you are volunteering. I, I think it's a little different. The power, the power,、okay. the authority is a little different. Hmm. It, it could be. Could be, but I agree. Like, if I had to, I would. Right.、Mm-hmm. Right, because you know you, you gotta do it. Yep. Yeah. When. Wow. Um. All right. Then, then, but obviously, with this sir, you could potentially do it. Say. Commercially, right? I, is that what you're thinking now? Like, you know, with SPI, you go out and then you charge people for some session. That's the idea. Okay, but、yeah. it wouldn't be through Queer, queer Crush necessarily. It、I、would、see. be outside of that. I think we don't really have any discussions about what it could look like now. Okay, because it's a pure volunteer situation, right? But I think there's so much different potential to take people out on climbing and like a healing experience, climbing healing experience, and that could be day long. It could be weekend long, and the sky is the limit, really. I guess you know I follow you on social media, so I see how it goes、uh, along, like down the next year or next few years, and see how it's all gonna grow. Yeah, another thing I remember、uh, we were talking about. Well, right now this I would say the guiding space is still not very diverse. Yeah. Right. But certainly, I would say currently、um, the the guiding space, more and more people are embracing the idea of like diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, what should those guys do to make sure that they are friendly? To say, transgender queer folks or bipod, what do, what should they do to open their arms? Then then so,、um, people can recognize them as the friendly allies. Yes,、yeah. allies. Yes. Well, because I know that you found me because word of mouth, right? You 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 have a friend who had taken an assessment from me, but I didn't advertise myself as like the ally. Yeah. Yes. Well, why don't you? Oh, I I. Thought I look friendly,、um, but maybe I should do something. So I think if that person has a website to make it clear, and one of the ways to signal is, hey, put your pronouns up. Oh, because that means you're not、true. making assumptions. Hey, if you're doing it, that means you might want 
other people to do it. And it's not necessarily compulsory, but it gives you the option, right? And sometimes maybe just an ex- literally an explicit description. Hey, you know, one of the things that you really care about is accessibility and you are supportive of you know, working with diverse populations, right? Including name specific communities, right? Or you have experience uh, supporting or doing clinics with these populations. So I think of it as a therapy website where I write, oh yeah, I'm great with like working with like immigrants. Um, I'm good with working with trans population. You're literally stating you have experience and you've, you, you have to name them, I think, like make them explicitly clear, like the populations that you, you work with and you have experience working for. And sometimes you see like rainbow flags on people's websites and sometimes you say hey i'm an ally okay right just yeah. be like hey i'm an ally and i think it can go a long way interesting yeah i i guess i never thought about that because i didn't know the way that i would be good with those groups yeah because uh so i've been in well i actually start teaching climbing uh right after i start climbing so I mostly work with white folks, mm-hmm. even my students, a lot. So this affinity uh, programs are a very recent thing. So I wasn't sure that I'll be good. I mean, even I look, uh, well, Asian woman, and but I just I don't have any experience. Well, I think you have to look at your combined experience through your lived experiences and experiences outside of climbing. Because Mm. even if your clientele are mostly white, well, you live in your body, right? With your cultural experiences, right? True. I guess I never thought in that aspect. And you are also at least bicultural and bilingual. So you literally see and read another language and think in another language and grew up with cultural lived historical experiences, right, of another culture. So naturally, you're, you're able to cross culturally, like think think cross culturally, right, and communicate cross culturally. So obviously, all cultures are different, right. But the fact that you juggle these two identities, right, for decades is experience. So I would say, like, maybe you can like think a little wider when it comes to thinking about your own experience and maybe um you know one popular thing that climbing really helps with is combating imposter syndrome do you know that i do know imposter syndrome great, yes great. which i probably had before yeah and i could still have it <laughs> i mean we all have it right, right? okay it, it's, it's always around yes. in some ways mm-hmm. wait right some stronger than others but i think what's happening is combating that inner imposter syndrome that says you're not good at something, right? You're not good at something, you don't have experience in it, but it's like interdisciplinary experience, right? Yes. Right, it doesn't have to be climbing specific, but you do have experience working with other cultures and other populations. And don't let that imposter syndrome say like, oh yeah, you don't have this specific experience in this way, but hey, look at that. I can like take that experience and apply it here, right? right? Yeah. And how about you? Like, so you mentioned that you didn't advertise for it, but uh, you attract 
a certain population? Do uh-huh. you also work with um, other population? In Or, my therapy practice? Yeah, yes. It's the strangest thing because yeah, I I think I have literally. I don't know if it should be. It's a little weird, okay? But I think I've only had one or two straight clients, okay, in my therapy practice. So those are your minority. Yeah, those are the minority. You are, yeah. I mean, I've worked in different roles other than the therapist, definitely. So I've, but in my private practice, like my own practice, that's what ha- happened. I've definitely worked in other roles before and seen plenty of straight people, yeah. like plenty. Yes. But in terms of my own private practice, it's those who come to me are queer. Hmm. But is, does it mean that you only accept? No, Wait, right? Obviously. <laughs> uh, so you said your therapy practice is your personal, or you work underneath the company? Personal, personal. So it's your own yep. business. Mm-hmm. And do you have a website for that? I do. So what is that? It's Third Culture Therapy. Third three. Culture. Yeah, therapy. three was a three because uh. with a three. So yeah, spelt like a three, and then the number three, and then R D. Anyway, you you put uh, you give me the web address. I'll put it online cool. and stuff. So so in case I spell it wrong, and so that kind of like outline what you do right in that website. So what's your potential people that you help? I help anyone who wants to talk about their difficulties and have a therapeutic, non-judgmental person. To listen to、um, someone who's been through a lot of difficult, traumatic things and survived and thrives, and yeah, I work with a lot of people with、uh, PTSD, okay, complex PTSD, and the usual anxiety, depression, and I work with people who are transitioning and who want to figure out like where they want to go with their transition. And or people who are coming to terms with their sexuality or gender, and also people who deal with immigra- immigration trauma. Immigration trauma. Yeah. Because I'm an immigrant, I'm just kind of curious、yeah. what kind of trauma they're. Well,、cooking. I mean, it's there can be different types, right? Yeah. But I think one popular thing that's coming up for people is cultural bereavement. So you know bereavement, as in grief, okay,、right? mourning the loss of someone who died,、mm. who's no longer here, and depending on the circumstances, people have had to immigrate for various reasons, and、mm-hmm. overnight they lose their entire roots. They lose their roots. They lose their what they know. They might have also just even moving to a very different culture. There's like shock, and there's. Pressures of assimilation and pressures of needing to find community and a whole new way of relating to the world and different people relating to them differently, right?、Mm-hmm. So that can be kind of traumatic. I、yeah. see. But also, different people immigrate for different reasons, right? And right. They have different factors to which they immigrate. So some might be a little more, like the people might have less choice than others. That kind of made me wonder. So you were born in Hawaii, but you were raised in Hong Kong.、Yep. Do you consider yourself an immigrant? Yes. Okay. Because I don't have any family here, and so your family is still back in Hong Kong or Vancouver? In or... Hong Kong. Okay. 
Yeah, and so I don't have any extended family here either. And I think the first ancestor that I know of was my great, great, great or great grandfather, I forgot, who worked in the citrus farms in California and then went back to China every five years to distribute the wealth. Right, yes. Um, And so I don't have anybody I know of in between. So it's basically me here. Okay. If I had any other relatives or extended family, I think I might have a different relationship to what I would call myself, but I definitely call myself an immigrant. But you know how there's language is evolving and language changes? Yes. I fancy the idea of calling myself an expat. Oh. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I do know the definition of expat. I'm just, I, I pause, just like, I wonder whether that fits in my imagination of you. I mean, I probably don't think that's what's happening. Okay. But I think that when I was growing up in Hong Kong, I went to a British international school. And so there were, I grew up in a school with many expatriate I see. children. So basically they were from mostly the UK and then their families, immig- I mean, their families are expats of Hong Kong, but they wouldn't say immigrated. They, they, they did immigrate though. Oh, Do you know what I mean? I see what you're saying, though, but I don't know whether I distinguish those terms because I ask people about what's the difference between expat and immigrants. Yeah. And do you think expat, they don't want to call themselves immigrant because they think they are superior? Yeah. Them? Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm just trying but to figure this out. But this is what I'm saying, though. Yeah. I okay. fancy just calling myself an expat just to play mm-hmm. with the words. I see. That's all. Oh, uh, okay. It's a little twist. Yeah, because I didn't call myself expat. Why don't I don't call yourself expat? But I call myself immigrant. Hmm. Yeah, language is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's a funny thought, right? Sometimes you just like you know the identity thing, right? You call yourself a little bit differently than your whole world is kind of a little bit different now. What do you mean? The I, I mean that, for example, I like I'm bilingual, right? Yep. So. Uh, my worldview is different yeah. because I think in two different languages yeah. and the language is tied to the culture and this whatever that I'm involved. So, you know, some term I can't even describe in English and some I can't even describe, say, in Chinese. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I have this combined worldview. And that's why my therapy practice is called third culture mm. because, I mean, being transgender, I, call, I consider a third culture, their gender, their culture, being a person with different multicultural, cultural um, upbringings, right? right? And long experiences is third culture. Because if I go to Mexico, I, I say that I'm Chinese, Chinese or American. When I'm in the US, I say I'm from Hong Kong. When I'm in Hong Kong, I say I'm from the US. Right. And so that's the permanent identity of not really being anywhere in one time but being in multiple places at the same time and holding multiple identities at the same time is how I relate to the term third culture and so how does that relate to climbing um I don't really know right now but I I think I don't know maybe that's food for thought but I I think that's why that term really strikes me as relevant um and it's good to like kind of discuss that in terms of belonging and yeah belonging Mm -hmm. and perspective and 
maybe climbing therapy is also like a third culture thing. It's like I therapy, can, a little yeah. climbing. I think it's cool. I mean, I like anything interdisciplinary. I think um, nowadays with the climbing community, you know, everybody contribute a little bit from what they already already have, and then to make it this community very interesting. Um, so. Saying that, I know you have goals on working on your th- combining your therapy and climbing a little bit more. Do you even plan on, say, you know, the traditional track on the guiding thing? Say, oh, I'm, I, I might pursue, say, uh, my multi-pitch instructor or a uh, rock guy or even like going the alpine, that type of thing. Is that could be in the picture or you don't know at this point? So I do know enough where I'm hopefully if there's a scholarship opportunity available. It's scholarship. <laughs> I mean, how do you think I do all this volunteer work? I, I, yeah, I mean scholarship, yes, great. Yeah. To pay my bills and definitely you know, yes. because I don't know if you agree with me, but in Chinese culture is a collective culture. Right? Okay. And I think that every time I get something I want to share it. So I have that my mentality. So if I get a scholarship, I'm like, okay, like I'm going to get this and I'm going to like do something with it. So my mm-hmm. next path is hopefully I will apply for a scholarship for the rock guide course because I do want to do multi-pitch. I don't think I will ever be the IFMGA. That's well, first of all, that's a very specific niche. <laughs> like There's like a, only like a handful of people that do do that. Um, I don't even know how to ski. I've been snowboarding. I snowboarded like four times in my life. It's been ridiculously expensive. And I, at the time, could not afford it. I could probably afford it now. Um, But I think there's something really special about multi-pitch and being like with heights and conquering people's fears about like being up high. And the views you see are incredible. So I do want to be able to guide multi-pitch, but nothing further than that. Nice. Uh, so, as I can see, well, scholarship oriented. Uh, well, who's gonna pay I, for that four thousand dollars? Who's gonna pay for that? And definitely, and right now, I think um, there's a lot more scholarship available. And yeah. I, I totally, I mean, I'm not in the phase of pursuing any alpine or ski, whatever. So I'm like pretty much done. Yeah. Uh, but then I certainly encourage people apply for all the scholarship available it's just gonna help and and it doesn't take you that much time to write the application it doesn't but i also take hours writing my applications because Mm -hmm. when i write it i not write it just for them i write it for myself yeah and do you mind because you talking about that you're very good at writing grant proposal what's like like you you know something you feel like when you write scholarship application you really have to hit hard like you know what's your advice on like writing a good strong scholarship application well I learned this skill when I was hmm it's really interesting because I also learned I also got a scholarship to learn Spanish Okay, wow. Yeah. And I I use this... Sorry, go ahead. No, I just said that was incredible. I think I need to look more about my scholarship opportunity myself even. Yeah, just go ahead. Sorry. Um, And it was one of the life-changing experiences of my life. And like, it's it's like I didn't know about it. 
and I was invited to apply for the scholarship. And it was because um, I went surfing when I was in college in Costa Rica, and it was my first vacation as a young adult. And it was my first time being in the ocean. So my parents and I lived, and my brother, we lived in Vancouver for five years, but I've never been in the Pacific Ocean. Because at the time, my dad didn't speak English. At some point, my mom had cancer. And so we were just really isolated and very kind of survival oriented. That recreation and leisure outdoors was not a thing. So when I went to college and I went surfing, I had like the most happy experience my entire life. Um, Just being in the ocean and having my head, you know, catch the waves and the salt water in my face and conquered my fear of being the ocean wearing contact lenses. I know it sounds really silly, but I was like, sure, my contact lenses would fall out and I would not be able to see and drown. (laughs) Nothing happened. It never happened, actually. So um, during the Costa Rican vacation, um, they had some Spanish classes being offered. And I was like, no, like, why would I want to learn Spanish? I'm only here for vacation. But I dropped in for the class once and there were uh, teachers from Nicaragua, um, from Venezuela, from Colombia. And I had a really rich experience listening to them teach in different ways and perspectives and sharing their lived experiences. So when I went back to college and I heard about the scholarship, I'm like, oh my God, like I really should learn how to speak Spanish because this is a key to so many other doors. So I got the scholarship, which allowed me to travel in Central America for like a year because a language is now a key and a tool. And um, I hope I'm not digressing too much, but what I'm saying is like, you know, I, I guess there's a mindset of applying for a scholarship, like, oh, I'm just gonna get the scholarship because it's free money. And I have a perspective that is like, no, it's not just free money. These are little, th- these are keys to so many other doors for yourself that can lead to so many different opportunities for yourself and other people. And so I, I try to write about the value of, what this scholarship can do for myself, but also for other people and be as specific about like the type of people I want to serve. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. I hope I'm not digressing too much, but I, I think like I don't view it as just the few thousand dollars because my investment is so much more than those few thousand dollars. Does, does that make sense? Yes. I, I think that's a very good point because you want to get a scholarship for, should I say, a higher cost? Or um, it's like, it's going to be part of you. As yeah. Well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, just me, like, leaving the Bay Area for a month to practice for my SPI, I'm, I mean, that's a month. And that's... It is. That's missed job opportunities, mm-hmm. missed friendship time, or you know, investment, and it's more than the $1,000 I got mm-hmm. for the SPI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, certainly, I mean, it's, it's hard to judge, right, if that few thousand dollars, but if you put it in the perspective, like, you come here, practice, making more connections, and maybe expand your future horizon, then maybe it's more than the few thousand dollars but i also yeah. believe in it right so yeah exactly like I, I wouldn't do it i mean i don't ha- i won't have to agree with everything a certain organization is right. doing or mm-hmm. saying but i do 
have to believe in it, and I do. And it is a spiritual practice for me. <laughs> I think that's actually a very great advice. Even I didn't think in that aspect because I review people's scholarship、yeah. application for the MGF a couple of times.、Ooh. I can't quite pinpoint what I feel like is a stronger application, but certainly I, you, you can sense whether this person I invested or not, or they just feel like I, I write this essay for this couple thousand dollars or whatever.、Um, but I think that you put in a very good perspective of like, yeah, I want that money because it's important for the a bigger picture. You know, like you you are invested in that whole process. So I know that there's some best practices that、mm-hmm. I heard in pop psychology, and one of the things is that if you write goals, okay, if you write them down, they will more likely happen, and you will more likely achieve them. So I was practicing this since high school for a very long time, and when I when I write the scholarships, I. It's literally you're writing down your goals, right? You're literally writing down your goals and have to justify them and explain them. And through that process, they're like, "How do you want to achieve this?" They're prompting me to make my brain make connections between my thoughts and my intentions or motivations and my actions. Right? They're connecting those dots, so they're also helping me shape my future. Right, it's not just I'm not just applying this and saying, saying this like because it it will actually change my actions. Yes, does it make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. Okay, a very good.、One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I always encourage people to like apply for scholarship. They're just like sure, and then now I can say. You know, go listen to Jay's advice. I think it's you know you gotta give it a little bit more thought. I also think that asking for testimonials is really good because some people are might not be good, like excel at writing.、Mm. So if they can get people around them to write a little bit of testimonial for who they are as a person or what they do, I think that can be very valuable as well. Nice quotes from other people. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to you to tell me that say is say career question. You're looking for volunteers, and then、uh, are you accepting say new clients for your therapy? And how do people find you? And all that type of question. Cool. So, Queer Crush is always looking for more volunteers because we want to queer the crag. Queer the crag. Yeah.、Uh, okay. <laughs> what is that? Elaborate. What that's that just、mean? a saying that we came up with for our T-shirts. Queer the queer the crag. crag. We、okay. want the crag to be queer. Sure. We want to see queer people on the crag. We want to see queer people on Big Wall. We want to see queer people mentoring. We want to see queer kids and families outdoors. Right. So we're always looking for volunteers, and especially volunteers who are excited and can be accountable for volunteering. And you can go to queercrush.org or Instagram at queercrushclimbing. Okay, so that's one avenue. Therapy-wise, private practice. I'm not looking for 
new clients because I've been full for a while and I'm taking a little break soon to establish and plan for more climbing therapy. Yeah. Okay. So as opposed to like doing talk therapy, I start, I want to start developing climbing therapy and doing a little bit more work on that because my talk therapy is very full. I see. And so yeah. it, so for your climbing therapy, do you have a rough timeline? You, what's your, yeah, I think I'll do some in the fall or next spring. Okay. Yeah. Fall 2023 and spring 2024. Yes. And then, yeah, I didn't talk about this here, but I also do ketamine therapy, which is a type of psychedelic therapy. And so I'm also growing that too. So there's a lot of projects so, on the horizon. <laughs> so explain that because I don't understand the nature of that type of therapy. Yeah. And so the reason, you know, there are certain types of trauma that are prolonged and chronic and there has been uh you know obviously psychedelics have been used for millennia and for as long as humans were alive and more recently it's been used to treat clinically treat depression anxiety and ptsd ocd the list goes on and so it's basically using psychedelics or other substances or medicines like mdma lsd psilocybin and ketamine and ketamine is the one I use in my practice to catalyze healing for people. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, but it's really remarkable because you can do a lot. You can have a lot of change in a, a very like a small amount of time. Cause huh. you know how talk therapy can take a months while. and years. Okay. Yeah. Um, basically the psychedelics bring up, so you have to see and come like confront some of these things that will take months or years for talk therapy to come. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. But it also provides uh, neuroplasticity in the brain and neurochemical changes in the brain that help you confront the hard stuff. Okay. Much sooner than say talk therapy can. It kind of reminds me of this book I read. What is it called? Some Superman, whatever. Uh, talking about this drug that they use, and then some like Silicon Valley executives. Yeah, they're probably talking about LSD. Okay, I I don't remember because that was a book that I, I read long time ago. But the reason I read it is because I read, you know, uh, Chick Semi Hyde. He wrote this thing about flow, and then they led to that. So I, I like an athlete into the flow state, and then somehow. I think this guy's name, jeez, I don't remember, Steve or Steven, whoever that wrote this book about the Superman thing about talking about Ashley. And then they talk about Silicon Valley executives using the drugs to help them to boost their creativity. Yeah, I mean, there's boosting creativity and profound healing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely, and not to say that those things can't be used for boosting creativity, but definitely my focus would be on like healing, yeah. deep, profound healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. So it seems like your vacation here is coming to the end, maybe. I mean, I'm actually working working remotely. So. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> so you're not just 
<laughs> I'm not just having a vacation. No. I see. Great. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So very nice that you spare this time during your very busy schedule. <laughs> I hope it's not too diver like you know, too too divergent. But I I think all in all, you know, these things are interrelated. For sure. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's hey climbing or if it's ketamine therapy. Or it's therapy. It's like we're. It's like the process of. I think for me, at least, you know, to summarize, is like not just the guiding part, but like using climate climbing to heal, is like why I wanna use the certification for. Great. Yeah. Yeah. We Thank should have started with that. <laughs> That's just you know, uh, cli- because climbing is great. So climbing can bring out a lot of good things out there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.